Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast, where we're committed to helping you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. Let's get to today's message. I am dying. Encouragement. And I think it's important for us to look at today and realize, in fact, we all are, uh, are dying a little bit. Every day we wake up brings us closer to uh, our last breath. I know that doesn't sound encouraging, but I really think that it should be. Because every day that you wake up with a breath is another chance to do something incredible with your life. It's another day to do something incredible that God's called you to. And I want to speak on that today. You know, our lives are really only that little dash between the numbers on our tombstone. And it's like a big number and a big number and then there's a little bitty itty dash, right? What we're doing in that dash is incredibly important. And I think today, if, if you take home nothing else, is that I just want to encourage you to live your life to the fullest, not to waste minutes or hours or seconds or days or weeks or months or even a whole lifetime. Because we have this tendency to get up, to go through the motions, and to do just that. Today, I want to speak a little bit about living without regret, about what it takes to leave nothing undone and how we can all walk that out. So I'm talking to dads, but I want to talk to everybody today. And um, a lot of this, what I'm talking about today came from a book called The Last Arrow. If you have a chance to pick it up, pick it up. It's an incredible book. I read it a couple years ago, and there's things in there that really stuck out to me. And I read it just before, just the beginning of COVID. And this, to me, was a tough time. And so it was like the book that I needed at the moment, because every day I woke up was like, I get to not leave my house. I get to not do anything today. And while most of the time it was kind of glorious, uh, there was also times where it's just like, I just want to do something, right? Uh, so like I said in the book, the book starts out telling a story about King Jehoash. Have you guys ever heard of this guy? Anyone like biblical names? It's like not one of my favorites. Uh, he's a king of Israel, and there's a big battle going on, constant battle between, uh, between Israel and Judah. And King Jehoash has somebody on his side. He has Elisha on his side who is constantly protecting them, constantly fighting for him. But there comes a time when uh, Elisha is actually sick and he's dying. Uh, and he's coming to this ba- the, 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 the heart of this battle and his people are, are, are dying. And his people are hurting and he's just like, my protector, God's g- guy who has everything around me is dying. I'm in trouble. And so he goes to him and says, dude, I know you're dying, uh, but I need your help. So I'm going to pick up in 2 Kings 14. And it says, now Elisha had been suffering from the illness from which he died. Jehoash, king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him and said, My father, my father, he cried, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Elisha said, Get a bow and some arrows. So he did so. It's kind of a weird request, but it's what he told him to do. He said, Take the bow in your hands. He said to the king of Israel, When he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Now open the east window, he said. He opened it. Shoot, Elisha said. And he shot the arrow. The Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram, Elisha declared, you will completely destroy the Aramenians at Aphek. Then he said, take the arrows. And the king took the arrows. Elisha told him, strike the ground. He struck it three times and then stopped. The man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will only defeat it three times. If you read this as I read it, I'm just like, you could have started with how many times you needed me to strike the ground, right? This is like having a conversation with my 15-year-old, 
It's like, if you start with the information I need, we can do much better in the outcome of the situation. But he didn't. He just said, strike the ground. He struck it three times, and then he got berated by the man of God for not doing it. This is a passage that if you overlook it, which is really easy to overlook, you just won't miss the nuance in here, but it's really important. Because if we want a victory, if we want a freedom from something that we're dealing with, shame, pride, ego, debt maybe, something in our past, a bad, bad situations we put into, negative feelings towards ourselves or others, if we want freedom, we have to do a few things to get there. Most importantly, I think God's telling us to strike the ground and not to stop. The first thing we got to do in there is we have to know what we want. This is, this is going back to the beginning. We have to know what we want out of life in order for us to achieve it, right? Many find ourselves that we, we, we're living a life that we don't really want, and my sometimes is to blame God for it. Why did you do this to me? Why is my life now exactly what I wanted? Why didn't you give me more? Does anyone else struggle with this? I want, I want to tell you one thing that's really important. If you're taking notes, write this down. But I can assure you that God can't give you a life you don't want. Right? There's that whole, like, willpower thing. You know, you gotta, he gives you the ability to choose, right? If we don't want it and we don't know what it is, he certainly is not going to give it to us. He's not going to force it on us. And if you don't know what you want, you surely will get what you don't want. Once you have, my nose just went crazy, Apple computers, <laughs> using my wife's computer, sorry, did it again. I don't know how this button pad thing works. I need, I need somebody to navigate this for me. I, I didn't plug it and plug it back in, sorry about that. So, um, you know, the Bible says in Psalms 37, 4, it says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. This is something I think is, is always really important because it's very clear that if we, if we put our love and we put our trust in the Lord, he's going to give us the desires of our heart. You know, when you fall in love with God, he shapes your future by shaping your heart, right? Like he shapes everything that you're going to do tomorrow and he gives, he kind of molds it in a way that works best for you. You know, it's, it's your heart, your passions, your desires, your delights. All these things is really just another saying of, this is what you want, right? So if you're not getting what you want, my suggestion is you move close enough to God to let him shape you. You know, and for me, this kind of goes back to what Pastor Kyle talked about last week with, you know, we can pray and we can ask God for things, but there's also stuff that he asks us to do. Our feet are on this ground and he asks us to step forward. And there's times I think we just say, hey, we're going to stand here we're gonna, until God opens up the sky and delivers us exactly what we need. And we're not going to move forward until there's a clear yes. But I'm here to tell you that maybe, maybe it's going to be that, you know, we're gonna, not going to just stand here. We're going to move forward until maybe he shuts the door and says no. I think sometimes it's, uh, we're really good at planting our feet right where they're at, and we just live here. We're not moving. We're not, going to, we're not going to do anything. We're not going to shape our own selves until God shapes us. And I'm telling you that God is inviting you to something, but he needs you to say yes. Who here is, is any millennials in here? There's a few. few. Anyone know the term FOMO? Yeah, it's the fear of missing out. Does anyone else have this as bad as I do? A few hands. Listen, FOMO for me is real. A couple weeks ago, 
uh, I was, I had a bad back. I had like a herniated disc or something, and I was in so much pain. I was miserable. I wasn't sleeping, and my wife said, hey, we're going to go to our friend's house, and we're going to swim. You're coming? And I was like, man, I am tired. I just want to nap. I hurt so bad, and I was angry at her for going because I was like, I don't want to miss this. What if there's inside jokes that I don't, I'm not inside anymore because I wasn't there? And I sat on the couch just like seething because like I hurt so bad, but I don't want to miss out. FOMO, right? But I do have a quick question is how many times do we feel FOMO towards God? A fear of missing out what he has for us. It's easy to say, hey, we fear of missing what our friends are going to do. But how many times do we actually fear to missing out of what God's going to do? Because we refuse to move. I think God's giving us opportunities to serve. He's giving us opportunities to be good friends, to be good parents, to be good fathers, to be good neighbors. And sometimes we plant our feet and say, no, I don't feel like moving from this position. And we miss out. But I can tell you that if you don't fear missing out what God has for you, all you're going to hear is stories. You're not going to get to live out these incredible moments. If anyone else is like me, like I love history, I love the Bible, I love all the stories it talks about, and the characters are incredible, David, feeding Goliath, Ruth, obviously Elisha, all these people are incredible. But the coolest thing about their story is that it could be ours. Thanks. Uh, we have to decide what matters to us. God is writing history every day, and he wants you to be a part of it. God is writing our future. Bible says in Malachi, they don't have a note for this, sorry, production team, is that he's the God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We, we need not just read about these characters, but let's live lives that's also an incredible story that someone wants to write about later. There's another incredible story in the Bible in Mark 10, 49. I'm going to read it first and then explain it a little bit. And this is the story of the blind man. And Jesus is kind of on a tour and he stops at Jerusalem. And then on his way from there, he stops at Jericho. And this is where it picks up. And it says, Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped up to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. So let me explain that. Basically, Jesus is walking through, uh, blind Bartimaeus is his name, and he sees him and he calls out to him. And at first his uh, disciples are like, eh, bugger off. And eventually uh, Jesus says, no, I, I want to talk to him. And he calls him over. And the funny thing to me is that it's pretty obvious, the situation but Jesus looks at him and goes, hey, what do you want? What can I help you with? And the guy goes, well, if it were me, I'm very sarcastic. And I think if I had a situation like pretty obvious what I need, like nothing. If it were me, I'd start with, you know, the, the joke like, well, you're a carpenter, so I need like ADA compliant like cabinetry that I can access better that has Braille so I can read what's in it. Like, no, I need a cane. You can, you can, you're a woodworker, so make me a cane. Like, I'm going to bump into everything, but I'm going to look really cool doing it, right? No, he looks at him and goes, I want to see. I really need my sight. 
And I think Jesus asks him, even though it's an obvious question, because he wants him to declare it. He asks him, what do you want me to do on your behalf? And I think Jesus is asking us on a regular basis, what do you want me to do? I can assure you that God knows what you need. He knows what you want, but he's begging us to just say it. Right? This comes to come back to we're planting our feet sometimes and we're just not uh, willing to speak up on what we want him to do on our behalf. How many times has God asked us what we want and we sheepishly say, well, God, honestly, it's, it's whatever you want. Right? God says, I'm, I'm asking you, how can I, what do you want? And we turn into my wife on a Friday night when I'm asking her what she wants for dinner. <laughs> whatever. Whatever sounds good to you. Whatever, God, sure, yeah, let's, let's go with that. That sounds great. Let's do that. I'll take double of that, yeah. No, he's asking us to be specific. What if God gave that man way less than what Jesus longed to give him? I think many of us, we walk around blind simply because we're asking for a cane and not our sight. We're asking for little things that are really, really easy and that probably we could do on our own. I think sometimes we ask very little of God because we think very little of God. If I can say that. I think myself personally, sometimes I feel like I'm protecting God by only asking small prayers. If I ask something I know I can do on my own, he's probably going to come through. It's going to be pretty awesome. (laughs) Right? But I don't think that's what it's about. I don't think God needs our protection. Now, I want to, with everything I've just said, I want to be clear that God's not a vending machine. I'm not saying that if you ask God, this is what I'm getting, and he's, he's going to deliver it every time. That's not what this is about. He's not a magic genie. You don't get to rub the lamp and ask for wishes, and it's poof granted. That's not how it works. But I can assure you, like it says in John 10, 10, it says, I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. He wants you to have a life that is exactly what you want it to be. Actually, God wants you to have a life that's more than what you even want it to be. But you have to ask for it. The next thing I think we need to do is we need to fight for it. Once we, once we ask God for it, and we realize what it is we want, we have to fight for it. This is going to something that's uh, talking about like the point of no return, right? Now, this is usually like, this is when you're, you're jogging and you're running and you're walking and you're like, well, it's too late to go back, so I'm just going to go forward. I'm going to go in a loop and come back around. But this isn't what I'm talking about. This isn't like a distance thing. This is like a posture. This is a posture that I'm going to go to the point of no return. There's no going back. I'm just moving forward no matter what. So when I was in school, I was never the kid, right? We all know the kid in school. Anyone else? Was anyone here the kid? No? Oh, okay. Good. Someone out there is like, yes. I was told by teachers, gym teachers, administrators, basically that I wasn't good enough. In every class that I went through, you just don't have what it takes. I didn't meet the standards for what colleges wanted, for what successful companies wanted. And I've honestly felt that way most of my life. There was a standard that the world had that I just wouldn't live up to. I was below average in basically everything. My wife can attest to that with my grades. I was not like a A, B student. I wasn't a B, C student. I wasn't a C, D student. It was mostly Ds and Fs, right? 
I like to say D's get degrees. They don't. I think that starts with C's. <laughs> and it wasn't just about talents. Like, I felt most of the time that, like, my innermost material wasn't good enough. Does anyone else feel that way? I was surrounded by people who were extraordinary. Students around me who were really good at sports, incredible athletes, they were intelligent, they were excelling in math classes and everything else that I just didn't do. And I was like sort of a round, nerdy kid with like undiagnosed dyslexia and a bowl cut. So if you imagine that student in your school, that was me. And I wanted so badly to rise above and be better. I'd measure myself against them and I always seemed to fall up last always less than. But I can tell you that that's fairly normal. When you look at the line of, of nothing to incredible, I think most of us fall along that line. And if we sit there and we beat ourselves up for it, there's, there's no moving forward from that. But when we inspire to a greater level uh, of greatness, to a greater level of success, we'll always find ourselves falling short if we use our scale. Thanks. But you have to realize it's not about how smart you are or how talented you are or how fast you can run or how gifted you are or how much potential you think you have. There is something inside of us, each and every one of us, that's normally just a fairly basic switch. That if we can turn that switch on, tells our mind, listen, I don't care what anyone else says. I don't care what my report card reads. My mother does. I don't. It doesn't matter where I fall short of everyone else's expectations. I know that God is here for me. God has me right here, right now, and I'm not going back. The Bible, I've said this before, and I stick to it. The Bible is full of losers doing incredible things. While I may not be good enough at certain things, I won't quit. We all have to be in that position where we won't let others decide what our direction is going to be. We're going to go to the point of no return. We're going to step into our future with every single step. I'm going to keep striking my arrows, as it said in that story. I'm going to keep walking out everything that God has for me. And I'm going to be part of something extraordinary or I'm going to die trying. I'm going to back up a little bit here in Second Kings when that story about Elisha. And that same battle is going on. And there's four lepers outside the gates of, of, the, of the, the kingdom. And I got to tell you about lepers. Lepers is uh, people who have a disease called leprosy. And this is something terrible if you don't know what it is. It doesn't all just cause boils and welts, but it's disfigurement and, and just, just incredible uh, issues of the skin. And these people were treated like less than everything. In the kingdom, you had kings and royalty and then their servants and then common folk and then poor people and then homeless poor people. And then on the outside of those gates, you had lepers. They were the lowest of the low. And in that culture, were literally nobodies. And we'll pick up in, seven, in Second Kings 7, 3 through 20. And it said, it happened that four lepers were sitting just outside the city gate. They said, one, they said to one another, what are we doing sitting here at death's door? If we enter the famine-struck city, because remember the battle, anyone can get out, so they're experiencing famine. It says, if we enter the famine-struck city, we'll die. If we stay here, we'll die. So let's take our chances in the camp of Aram, the enemies outside the gates, 
and throw ourselves on their mercy. If they receive us well, we'll live. If they kill us, we'll die. But we've got nothing to lose. So after the sun went down, they got up and went to the camp of Aram. When they got to the edge of the camp, surprise, not a man in the camp. It was a message version, so it says surprise. Sorry. The master had made the army of Aram hear the sound of horses. It says the master being God. Made the army of Aram hear the sound of horses, the mighty army on the march. And they told one another, the king of Israel hired the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to attack us. They panicked. They ran for their lives through the darkness, abandoning tents, horses, donkeys, the whole camp just as it was, running for dear life. These four lepers entered the camp and went into a tent. First they ate and drank. They grabbed silver and gold and clothing and went off and hid it. Then they went back, entered another tent, looted it, and again hiding their plunder. It's incredible because it actually says they went on to actually share this these riches with the people in the, the castle, in the fortress. But the more impressive thing about this is that these four guys who were nobodies, less than nobodies in that culture, they chose to get over their fear. They chose to get whatever, to get over whatever's may think of them, even at their lowest point, and push forward into their freedom. We're going to die if we go back. We're going to die if we stay here. We're probably going to die if we go forward. But you know what? That's the only chance we have. We're going to push through fear of death and fight. I think there's days like that where we realize that, listen, I don't like where I was. I don't really like where I'm at. And moving forward doesn't really look good either. But I can assure you that moving forward is the only possibility that we really have. We have to decide to go past the point of fear and into our freedom. Because whatever we fear establishes the boundary of our freedom. Whatever that line is that you create, you're not walking past it. You have to be willing to tear down that line, to tear down that boundary and walk through it. And this works for pain, by the way, as well. A lot of us have pain that establishes the parameters of our freedom. We've got stuff that we're dealing with in our hearts and our bodies. And if we face it, we know, you know what? It's too hard to get up. It's too hard to move forward. But I can assure you that what's on the other side of that pain is freedom and knowing that this hurts, but I can get through it. So the question is, will you go beyond the point of no return? Will you keep striking the arrows on the ground as God has commanded, or will you just simply give up? We've talked that God has the ability to do incredible things through the ordinary, through the mundane. Maybe as you're listening to this, you're realizing that honestly you gave up on your life a long time ago. Sometimes we, we gave up believing that uh, God wanted to do great things in our life because of, again, failures, past mistakes. I can tell you today that that is just not true. Maybe you gave up on believing that tomorrow could be better. Maybe because of your situations, you've given up on love, finding hope, finding joy, meaning, Whatever it is that you may have believed in so deeply, somehow the hardships of life and heaviness have just kind of stolen it from you. You thought that maybe God gave up on you, but this may be hard to hear, but I'm just hoping that you realize that maybe it's the other way around. 
maybe you gave up on God and, and trusting that he was going to be there for you. The question I had as I was struggling through this the whole time is that, is that are my failures really just me giving up too soon? With King Jehoash, maybe all he needed for a complete victory was to keep striking the ground until he was instructed to stop. Elisha made that pretty clear. Maybe all God was looking for was someone who wouldn't quit. Refusing to give up. I heard a quote a little while ago, and it stuck out to me, and as I was studying for this, it popped in my head again. And he said, you know how you can tell if you're capable? If you have what it takes to do what God's called you to? And I said, it's really, really simple. If God called you to it, you have what it takes to do it. Anyone else like rhymes? <laughs> Again, if God called you to it, you have what it takes to do it. You are capable of it. I can assure you of that. I have another quote. It's starting to feel like a John Maxwell book up in here. But it says, if you stay in your house and never leave and never be challenged, you won't die of starvation and thirst. Those are symptoms of your situation. What you're dying of is fear. You have to overcome your fear, brave the uncomfortable, brave whatever's next, brave the situations, get over the fear, brave the battle, and fight. So how do we fight? We have to strike the last arrow. Right? This is beyond the fighting. This is, okay, so how do we actually do it? Because it's easy to say we're going to fight, but striking the last arrow is that point of no return. It's that continuing until you're uh, told to stop. You have to choose that you're not going to run. You're not going to let fear move you. That I would rather die facing the challenge that God has before me than live my whole life running from it. And I have done a lot of Running, I can assure you. My wife has a thing she loves to say with, to me when we're usually getting in a, let's just say a, a tough conversation. <laughs> that she looks at me with that, that, that face, and if you know my wife, she has that face. She looks at you and says, is that the hill you want to die on? <laughs> and I love this because it has multiple meanings in there. Most of the time it's like, I'm going to kill you, so this is where you die. But it also means, like, if I'm unwilling to move, eventually this is the hill I'm going to die on. If I'm unwilling to come a little closer to what she is saying, if I'm willing to uh, partner with her, I'm probably going to die right where I am if she doesn't kill me first. And I think many of us have those hills in our life right now that we are choosing that this is the hill we're going to die on. We're either going to fight where we're at or we're not going to fight and we're going to eventually die here anyway. Again, another quote. All of us choose a burial plot long before we are ever put in the earth. We say we're just not going to try anymore. We're stopping right here. We're not moving forward. But I can assure you that your future, our future, is incredibly important. Dads, your children's future is incredibly important, and you 
have a major role in that. The rest of us, I am also dead, but the next generation is important. What are we going to do? You know, we all can be world changers in our own little way. I know that's a big lofty thing to say is that I'm a world changer, but it's true. We don't stop. We don't look back. Listen, this may be uncomfortable, but I believe that the church has become a reflection, big church, not simple church. It's awesome here. The church has become a reflection more of what we've been running from more than what we are running towards. If you look at the, the generation we're in right now, is the world has lost some of its appeal to our younger generations. It's just a fact. To a world who's simply looking for hope in a future. So the question is, are we going to simply be guardians of our traditions? Guardians of how we've done things in the past? Guardians of what people expect? Or will we be the church being one body, standing up and creating a future that the world so clearly needs? If God put arrows in your hands, you must strike them until there's nothing left. Now, it doesn't say this, but I'm going to say this. And once there's nothing left, throw your body at it. It's everything that we've got. When I get to heaven, I'd rather God condemn me for trying to do too much than not enough. I'll, I'll take that. I'd rather him say, why are you pushing so hard and killing yourself than saying, why did you settle for so little? Like Elijah and Jehoash, the, the future was placed in his hands by God himself. God's desire was to give the king complete victory, period. Not just over the small skirmish, not over the small situation, but complete victory. But instead, he settled for a life of endless battles because he stopped. When God puts the bow and arrows in your hand, we must never cease striking and never settle for less than God plans to do with our life. You have to know what matters to you. You have to know who you are. You have to know what your life is to be given to. You have to fight for it. And in the end, never settle for less than God's calling on your life. Never stop striking your arrows until your quiver is completely empty. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this, this morning as we can reflect on what you've called us to. Lord, as we walk out of this building and we take the week to think about what that truly is for us, I just pray that you give us just wisdom that we've never received before. So no matter what we're walking out, we can know this is exactly where God has me right now. And that you carry us forward, Lord. We don't want to stop where we're at, Lord. We don't want to give up. We don't want to throw in the towel and say, I'm just tired, Lord, that you give us new energy to push forward. Because we want what you want. And we know you have so much more for us. Lord, we love you. Amen. Listen, guys, I know as I'm talking about this, there's probably people in this room that don't have a clue what I'm talking about. I'm okay with that. There's people in here that 
that struggle with stuff every day and they're, they're listening to this and saying, well, I don't really even know who this God person is. I don't know who Jesus is. And I want to tell you that today is a pretty good day to start. It's a pretty good day to, to say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm interested. At the very least, I, I may not put my hand up and say, you know what? Yeah, today's the day, God, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my foot out and say, yeah, I'm here. And if that's you today, I, I, I want to say, first of all, thanks for showing up. And I want to say here in a minute, I'm going to give you the opportunity, an invitation to, to raise your hand and say, you know what, God? I don't know you, but I, I want to. So here in a second, I'm going to, I'm going to count to three. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And um, We don't pray alone in this church. So we're, we're all going to pray this out loud. I'm going to ask if you, if, if everyone just bows their head real quick. On the three, if that is you, if that's you and you will say, hey, you know what, I, I want to be counted in. I, I want to start this, this journey today. I, I want to know a little bit more. God, I want to say yes today, but let's chat. Could you raise your hand? Let's do three, two, one. Raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's incredible. There's hands in this room, guys. Let's pray. Jesus, I need you. Come into my life. Make me new. Fill me with your spirit and help me to follow you and maybe to teach others to follow you. Thank you, Jesus, for giving, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for giving me yours. Amen. Guys, there was hands in this room. Can we celebrate those people? Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. We hope it has given you hope and helped you know God a little bit more. The goal of this podcast is to reach beyond our walls and connect with people far from God. If you'd like to join us in doing that, there are several ways for you to get involved. First, you can pray for us as a church. Prayer is our first response and our greatest resource. Pray for opportunities that we can boldly step into, make a difference in our community and around the world as we proclaim the good news of Jesus. Second, share this episode on your social media accounts and directly with your friends. It's easy to do through whatever platform you're currently using to listen to this message. Just click share and follow the prompts. Finally, you can support the mission through your generosity. The best part about this is that it's also an act of worship where you express the priority of your love for God and others through your finances. Links to give are in the show notes or simply visit www.mysimple.church giving. We are so thankful you joined us today and hope you'll consider joining the mission of our church in some way. Thank you again and we'll see you at next week's episode.